I'm Hugh Atchison, and this is Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot. On today's show, I visit former Top Chef winner, extraordinary human, wonderful restaurateur and chef, and a dear personal friend. That's Brooke Williamson. And Brooke and I spoke in Playa del Rey, where she lives, where, where she has businesses, uh, which is a tiny neighborhood in Los Angeles, right between Santa Monica and Manhattan Beach. A tiny little beautiful neighborhood right on the beach. LAX is right next door. It's really convenient. We met and we talked about her restaurant, the main one, which is called Playa Provisions, where we were, and talked about the other restaurants they have. And Playa Provisions is basically four restaurants within itself. It's got fine dining. It's got more lunch and uh, breakfast service area. And it's got a whiskey bar and it's got an ice cream shop. And we set up in the whiskey bar because it wasn't open yet. But uh Fly Provisions is ambitious, and it's multidimensional and fun, much like Brooke. And it, it was just great to sit down there and catch up. I have two other conversations upcoming that I taped in Los Angeles. One was there recently. James Beard West winner Michael Simarusti, who's the chef and co-owner of Providence and Connie and Ted's. And James Beard Outstanding Chef winner Suzanne Goyne, who owns Luke's AOC and Tavern Restaurant. But here's this week's conversation. Brooke Williamson takes Los Angeles. Where the hell are we? Playa del Rey. Playa del Rey. Have you heard of it? That's in California. <laughs> uh, it's uh, part of uh, the greater Los Angeles area. And the person who's geographically telling me where we are is Brooke Williamson. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Hugh. So, Brooke uh, is a, a very amazingly established chef in the L.A. scene and has been here um, you grew up here, didn't you? Los Angeles? Yeah. yeah. Not Playa del Rey, but yes. Well, yeah, Los the Angeles Los is like Angeles a country. Area. So where'd you grow up? Um, kind of uh, on the on the west side, uh, Brentwood, West Hollywood, um, but always the greater Los Angeles area. Were you a 90210? That uh, I was briefly. Okay. Um, I, was, I only I was a blip it in my area code history, but um, yeah, as an adult, I've lived in West Hollywood, Venice. Mar Vista. I currently live in Westchester, which is five minutes from the airport. Convenient. Not the Westchester, as in on the East Coast, nope. where the rich people live with Not the private airports. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. different. Okay. <laughs> and Brooke, uh, many people know uh, from Top Chef, uh, from a number of iterations of Top Chef being on there uh, in a couple of different seasons. She's a Top Chef winner. But more importantly, she is a an amazing chef who runs Playa Provisions, uh, the triple, uh, Dakik. Kiko, Kiko, <laughs> Kiko, Kiko. You have to say it quickly or slowly. Which is a, a Hawaiian food concept in um, Playa Vista, Vista. and then uh, Hudson House. So four restaurants. Oh, there's um, an ice cream shop too. And there's an ice cream shop too. And, and we're at store. Playa Provisions. We're in the back of Playa Provisions in a little whiskey bar called Grain um, that's not open right now. So we have the run of the place. Uh, and <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that because it's it's early. Um, Brooke, you know, when we talk about terminology and chefdom, um, you are self-taught. First of all, tell me what that means. And I'll tell you what it means to me. Um, to me, um, that's not really a thing. I t totally agree. Uh, you know, people say that all the time because I didn't go to culinary school. I think that's a default term. Um, I was taught by many um, chefs, yes, but mostly um, my my colleagues who took it upon themselves to show me 
the time of day in the kitchen and teach me what they felt like was important for me to learn. But you started doing this when you were really young. Um, I mean, you know, I, I always considered self-taught being I was taught by a number of great chefs over the years, learned a lot from bad chefs of mm -hmm. what not to do. Just as much, yeah. And while getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. So it's different from cooking school in a lot of ways, obviously, but it gives us a different perspective. But you started when you were cooking when you were 15? Uh, I mean, professionally, 17. Yeah. Uh, I did apply to CIA. I was, my plan was to go to culinary school. And then I got a job to do my restaurant hours that were required of me to get into school and um, ended up not leaving. And one, because I felt like I was doing what I wanted to be doing already and getting paid for it and not spending a fortune. Um, and two, because I was working for Ken Frank at the time, who was a pretty notable chef who told me not to go to culinary school. Which, <laughs> which restaurant? Uh, Phoenix at the Argyle Hotel. Phoenix, that's F-E-N-I-X, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yes. So Phoenix at the Argyle Hotel. Ken Frank is best known for La Toque uh, in Napa, probably. Well, he opened he's, he's an amazingly successful uh, uh, California chef. Uh, he opened La Toque uh, in Hollywood in the 70s. Okay, and then moved it. And then uh, did a bunch of stuff in between and then um, ended up reopening La Toque in Napa. And okay. when he left Los Angeles to open La Toque in Napa, he actually asked me to come with him and I was... 18 at the time and didn't feel like my life belonged in Napa so I didn't go yeah I think the I mean everybody's life belongs in Napa but probably I'm, <laughs> I'm more age, of a Sonoma human I wasn't but that's sure okay. that I could handle it at that age well yeah I was still into going to bars after work and had my whole life here and I just wasn't ready for that step so from Phoenix you go to Michael's is that pretty from much the Phoenix, right Phoenix when Ken left I went to Michael's and Michael's is Michael McCarty's restaurant, and explain Michael's for those who don't know it. Um, I mean, it was it was one of the defining restaurants of California cuisine, quote unquote. Uh, I mean, the number of chefs who've come out of Michael's and gone on to fame is pretty amazing. Wasn't Jonathan Waxman? Jonathan Waxman was one of the opening chefs. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark Peel, Nancy Silverton. Um, I mean, I could go on. There's a there's a, a lot. Uh, we just celebrated the 40th anniversary of Michael's restaurant. It was with a big party in his backyard. I did a station. He invited some previous chefs uh, to come. What'd you make? Work. Uh, I made shrimp chips with shrimp salad on. It was just like a little a little station, um, and I didn't want to overextend myself in that in that circumstance well, that's <laughs> so a good I idea. did something that I felt like I could handle on my own <laughs> I think over the years we've all realized that when we have to go to events and cook for 600 that uh, make it really good but make it relatively super, easy super, um, super simple I also didn't have any help that day so I well that's half sure. of the time when we do these yeah. things but the, the worst thing is watching an overly ambitious young chef try and do something way too complicated at an event and just kind of uh, fall in their face yeah. doing it because and why just, do it then you yeah, can enjoy what, yourself and I mean trying trying to prove something to no, themselves I don't feel like I need to do no, that I, know. God, I feel so old I, I just have to prove to myself that I need a nap uh, I, like, <laughs> I like that much better um, and then you were at, uh, tell me about Zach's it was a restaurant oh. you were in when you were younger this is before you're owning your own restaurant which yeah, I mean you opened up Hudson House I think first uh, when you're 24, but this is now before this that. This was before that, yeah. This was um, my second executive chef position at the age of 22, 
which is horrifying. Um, and Zach's, Zach's was an incredible experience. It taught me that I, I was kind of capable, what I was capable of at that time. It also left me with unlimited creativity. Uh, I ran my own kitchen. I was really young, and I kind of was just sort of figuring out how to run a kitchen and be creative at the same time. I was also 22, and that's all I had to worry about. You know, was work. So but I always, I always found when I was really young and in kitchens and in charge. I, I mean, I, I really only think about it in retrospect, though. But I, most of the people I was having to lead every day were way older than me. Yeah. I mean, was that? Was I didn't that even really conscious? think. No, it I, wasn't. Yeah, I didn't a, think about yeah. it. Um, it was about expertise and 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 how I could lead based on knowledge and experience rather than age. Yeah, so. I, I think that basically like the age is based more on your ability than your physical age at that point. Yeah, I think I, and I, I had worked very hard for a good four or five years, and no, I didn't deserve to be an executive chef at 22. <laughs> in retrospect, I think I did a great job with what, you know, what I had in me, um, but I still had so much to learn. And then when I ended up opening my own restaurant my, my my now husband and I opened a restaurant when we were 24 23 I think he was 24 I was 23 and uh and it we had no idea what we were doing you know I didn't I didn't and had never had to worry about the finances of a restaurant or um licenses and we made a lot of I call that my my culinary school the most expensive culinary school that one could go to is opening a restaurant your first restaurant <laughs> and having it fail and you know, plum uh, piling money into it to try and keep it stable for is... you know for a year we, we we were having major liquor license issues um issues that we could have avoided had we done the research that i didn't know to do I think that's really important, though, for young chefs to realize the difference between being a chef and working for other people and being a chef owner, that it's not just another word after chef. I mean, it is. It's a different job. It's a pile of accounting and then cleaning the restrooms every morning because you have to and you can't afford to have somebody else do it. Yeah. so, what was the first restaurant called? Amuse Cafe. Amuse Cafe. <laughs> like Amuse. Oh, yes. Okay. We were Where was it? We were young um, and easily amused. <laughs> it was in uh, in Venice at okay. the base of Abbott Kinney where Abbott Kinney hits uh, Main Street. Before Abbott Kinney was Abbott Kinney. And Abbott Kinney is now really Abbott it's Kinney. It's very right? Abbott Kinney. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the street of, uh, let's see, Jeremy Fox is there and... Uh, Felix is there, isn't it? Felix is there, yeah. yeah. We just went to MTN, um, or Mountain, however you want to pronounce it, which is the Jelena guys uh, have that place, which is really good. Jelena and Justa. Um, Justa. I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, let's let's talk about what you view as the change in the L.A. food scene in the, I mean, 20-odd years that you've been doing this. Mm. Uh, dramatic. It really is dramatic. Really Most in the dramatic. last five years. Five Ten, ten five years. years. Um, yeah. yeah, no. When I, when I was starting out in this business, I kind of figured that I wouldn't end up in LA uh, because LA wasn't a serious food city. There were a few sort of notable, recognizable restaurants that people knew about across the country, but just a few. And um, I felt like in my early career, the only way to sort of get a leg up on the Angelinos aspiring to cook was to go somewhere else. So. I went to New York. I staged at Danielle, and um, and 
eventually I figured I'd either end up in San Francisco or New York. Um, but LA was, LA wasn't serious at all, you know, and now you can find anything you want here and of, of some really interesting, and serious, some things that you can't find wonderful. anywhere else. Yeah. You can. Yeah. I mean, you name it, it's here. Is the proximity applied provisions in your restaurants to the beach, which is in view, is that help with buying seafood? And no, no. I mean, we don't buy seafood out of this ocean. <laughs> you know, no. uh, it's a really big ocean, it's, Brooke. <laughs> Please tell me it's some of it's edible. I mean, not, not here right at Doc Weiler Beach. No, yeah, not. Um, no. I, I, although um, my husband and my son go fishing uh, out of the marina here. They go. Do they have superpowers now? Uh, Meeting that fish. (laughs) I I mean, they fish. I don't. I'm not. uh, I don't like boats. So that's their thing together. And they come home and they bring home like rockfish and um, there is some decent edible stuff out there. But you kind of have to go a ways out. You have to go a ways out for safety reasons. Which is why I don't go. (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about. This is May. What are you excited about? At farmers markets, what are you excited about in the California scene that that comes about every year this time of year? Whether it's vegetables or fruits or meats or fish or what's a seasonal thing that's really hmm. exciting to you right now? I think about uh, seasonality in vegetables and fruits. Yep. So uh, I've actually over the last couple of years gotten really into gardening, and that has really spawned some some produce excitement in my life. Uh, and it's sort of this this little baby experiment in my front and backyard that shows me what is really thriving at that very moment. Because I can go to the farmer's markets, which I've done my whole life. I go to the Santa Monica farmer's market on Wednesdays to pick up stuff from people who really know how to grow stuff. Uh, but I can also walk outside and see, you know, what is starting to look beautiful at my own house, which is kind of, it's kind of a fun little experimental thing. So the artichokes are starting to look really good, which are my favorite vegetable to eat, probably my least favorite to cook. Uh, That is so weird, (laughs) because down on my list of things, I was like, I wanted you to talk through me, through to me, like, how would you cook something? And I wrote artichoke. So tell me how you cook. (laughs) Tell me, not not a chef-y recipe, but just tell me the basics of what you would do at home with an artichoke. And is it a globe artichoke or a baby artichoke? I I go with globe because I feel like it's the biggest bang for the buck in terms of prep time. There's Um, more heart. There's more heart, and that's you know that's the the gold. And uh, I I do what my mom did. She always boiled them. So I trim trim them whole. Yeah. Trim them, clean them, cut off you know the top, and then boil them in some salted lemon water, and then pull them out, let them dry off, cut out the choke, and dip them in some butter Melted and lemon butter. juice. Yeah. yeah. That's the classic California thing. I, when my, my dad, we lived here when I was, my dad was teaching at Stanford on uh, sabbatical when I was like two. And I remember two to four eating artichokes exactly like that with drawn butter, yeah. simply boiled and uh-huh. you're pulling off the leaves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this epic, uh, long meal, uh, but it's also it's a like journey bo- to get well, to the heart. <laughs> it's also like this, it's a, fucking thistle you know it's, yeah. it's this evil vegetable that's got this amazing innards to it yeah 
And it's so specific, and um, like the flavor of an artichoke is so specific. It doesn't taste like anything else to me. No, it's got almost a, like a really engaging um, metallic-y flavor, mm-hmm. that, but that's good in mm-hmm. a good way. Um, uh, yeah, it, they're, they're so interesting, but they're, they're so fucking bitter if they're raw. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, I do love a good shaved raw baby artichoke. Um, yeah, babies are good. Globes are just too much. Yeah. But artichokes around here, I mean, artichokes, what's the artichoke capital of the world? Gilroy's for garlic. And yeah, it's right North. next to Gilroy. What's uh, it called? It's, it's um, Castorville. 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 Castorville artichokes. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, drive on that highway and they're like, Everywhere. 20 artichokes for a dollar. That's amazing. <laughs> and then you go to Whole Foods <laughs> and it's like four ninety nine for one. And you're like, hmm, that sucks, America. I know. I've, I have uh, 17 of them growing at home right now. And I'm just so excited to save that money. And you're like, wow, this is my savings right now. Now, because I run restaurants, we have yep. no savings. This is awesome. <laughs> I guess uh, we'll we'll touch on Top Chef, though. It's uh, really I don't really care to talk about too much about <laughs> Top Chef. I mean, that's how t- we met. I know it is how we met, but. You know, the, the interesting thing, I, I said no to regular Top Chef for years, and I said yes to Masters because I felt like it wouldn't, like if I was deemed a jackass on it, it wouldn't sully my reputation on Top Chef Masters because it's for charity. So oh, you can always shrug and I go, see. ah, it doesn't matter. And you're already qualified as a master and from the moment you walk And you're master, yeah. So, yeah, which I don't know what the testing or designation <laughs> for that is, but I I'll take wondered, it. I always wondered, how do you define I who belongs on Masters? No idea. I guess I said no so many times on Top Chef Regular. They were like, he must be a Jedi Master. Strange, because I said no a few times, too. <laughs> they didn't deem me So why did you say yes in the end, then? Um, I don't know. I think it was the fourth or so time that they uh, approached me. And, and I think with women, it's a little bit different because they kind of go... I think there's a smaller pool of of talent to choose from it's growing exponentially it but, is know. but i mean this was eight nine years ago uh when i first no more than that oh my god yeah i always feel like they <laughs> they they cast in this uh with a keen attention to gender uh, well, to make sure there's parody involved yeah, so there has but to be... then uh halfway through or near the end uh, gender goes out the window it, right. it, it doesn't matter at some point right. it's like it really comes down to um, who's the better chef involved? So it's it's one of the, it's in that way. I'll give them a good thumbs up and a lot of kudos for not letting that become an issue. Like right. it's it it's just not. But it is it, it is very much so in the casting. I think at the beginning. Sure, because I think it it has to be because I think that the people who apply and go to the auditions or whatever they are casting calls um, are probably predominantly men. Yeah, I would think Maybe so. Maybe not anymore. Yeah. But at least when I first started getting asked, which was 10 or 11 years ago, um, and I had just opened Hudson House, and or I was about to open Hudson House, and then I just opened the triple, and then I was pregnant, and then, or no, I don't know about the timeline of all this, but um, eventually I decided, um, I, I kind of had seen a few seasons of, of, and what it could do for people's careers. And I think that, I had a four-year-old at the time, and um, and his livelihood is the most important thing in my life. And 
I've already kind well, of. Well, he's really cute too, so <laughs> that helps. Sweet. He was really cute. At he four. was really cute when he was young. Um, yeah, he's still really he's cute. He's still really cute. Uh, but you know, I felt like I had to be a responsible human being, and part of that was to do things out of my comfort zone and to, to put my head on the chopping block of reality television. It didn't, you know, it that was that was actually not at all. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I didn't look at Top Chef as a reality TV show. I looked at it as an opportunity to... Show your to, skills. Yeah, and to bring my... To bring attention to my restaurants um, that was virtually impossible to do any other way. And, that, and that's probably a really good argument for being on it. I mean, to me, somebody once said, you know, a cookbook is a bigger business card than you have. Mm -hmm. And TV is an even biz bigger business card. So you just get... It opens doors and it opens opportunities and gets, lets your restaurant get um, recognized in a larger field to hopefully be successful. I mean, we're in a really small margin business, so any angle we can to exactly hype up our places to is make life a, a little thing. easier. Hopefully, you know? or to or work. harder. Who knows? <laughs> Depends <laughs> on how you look world. at it. Yeah. Uh, there, but Top Chef did did give this sort of potential to to expand what I, I knew I always wanted for my entire life. And, um, and that, you know, my, my number one focus was always my restaurants. So what season were you first on? 10 in Seattle. Seattle. That's right. Okay. Who won that year? Kristen Kish. Kristen Kish. Jesus. <laughs> that was a, that was a rough finale. For that me. was a rough finale. <laughs> Oh, wait, was that the live one? <laughs> yes. Oh, that was, oh. Yeah, I got God. some really splendid comments from you. That was good. That'll yeah. stick with me forever. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, was, that was the strangest finale. And the idea, I, I, I have no idea who at Bravo was like, this is going to go seamlessly. No, um, nobody ever felt that way again. No, they never did it again, I don't think. No. Uh, yeah, that was really interesting. The truck went down, broke down. The audience. Audio went out. Audio went, uh, went out for an hour. They kept playing the sort of installed audience with more booze. It was so then hot. they ran out of booze. It was hot. Yeah. The audience was all cranky. My poor kid was there sleeping at the table. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I, I think yeah, everybody had lost interest. Then it came back and it went back on and got going again. Ah, that's that, that was crazy. Yeah. And so you lose in that one, but mm. then in the new sort of. Mm -hmm idea of top chef is they find people they really like who came close and they invite them back again to come into the well, gladiator the drama. realm <laughs> the drama's good i know <laughs> it is dramatic and so was that next season <laughs> no 14 it was four 14 years later. it was four years later yeah. i don't even remember. yeah so wh where was 14 uh charleston okay that's right yeah with the finale in mexico in where was that in mexico it was uh, San Miguel de Allende. Well, yeah. Oh, but then no, Maya that was, Riviera, yeah, basically. that's right. That's oh, it right. started in uh, in in Guadalajara. In Guadalajara, okay. And okay. then we ended. And up. then you won. I did. You won. Yeah, Who'd that you beat? Um, Shirley Chung. Shirley Chung. Who had also been on before? Yes. Two years earlier, I think. She was at Texas, I think. No, I don't know. Uh, New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. That's crazy. And so after all these people that you've met on Top Chef, who do you really still hang out with, communicate with? Because I know you actually 
communicate with a fair number of them. I do. Um, I, and I consider several of them actual, like, dear friends. Yeah. Um, I'm still very close with Kristen. Um, I'm still very close with Casey Thompson. Yeah. Um, Shirley and I are close. We're, we live in the same city, see each other all the time. Uh, uh, I would say from the first season, I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty close with most of the people from season 14. Uh, from the first season that I was on, which was several years ago, the people who I would still consider like to be true friends of mine would be um, CJ and mm-hmm. and Kristen probably are the two that I keep in touch with the most. Yeah. So what, what are the new challenges after all that with opening, having restaurants and having a family and being a working chef still? What are the new challenges that are different than they were five years ago? It's Is just it more. Numbers? Um, I mean, no, I mean, numbers never really feel like more or less to me um, because, I mean, the restaurant still functions the way it does. Um, So, but I would say the amount that I travel, the amount that I am not um, at my restaurants. However, having a specific, having a certain number of restaurants kind of already takes me out of that, uh, that equation of, of being at one restaurant a whole lot. Uh, But yeah, no, and I think just my responsibilities are very, are vast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... It's, it, I'm spread out. I, I'm on a computer a lot. Um, I find myself saying no to more and more things, and I think that's really liberating in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think I've gotten to a point where now I look at, I, I weigh the positives and the negatives of being taken out of my daily routine um, to go somewhere just to go somewhere. I, yeah. You know, I... I'm fortunate enough to be able to be in a position to say no to to stuff that um, that a lot of people would love to be doing. However, right. um, yeah, I, but we've done it. it yeah, yeah, you've been through it in some and, ways. You know, there is there is something to be said for um, for for how your life suffers when you you know leave it for four days to go eat and drink and be social and work and. Um, you know, I'm missing my son. Yeah. I'm missing my family. I'm missing my workouts. I'm missing my routine, which connects is, with your people and your yeah. businesses, and you're missing regularity that I think we crave in life after yeah. a certain time in our lives. Yeah. But we want that. We want that foundation yes. to be there. That's important. I think being successful in chefdom begets you many, many opportunities. It just definitely does not mean that you have to say yes to every single one of them right. um, because you know you'll become like some of the people out there who look really tired at the airport <laughs> there are good. so many and i've been that person i know um for years and now i kind of i have to say to myself is, is what i'm gonna get out of this worth doing it yeah um and Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's, you know, a great trip to Hawaii. and <laughs> Which we did recently, and it was awesome. It but was awesome. Yeah, and, and, the, and those, are, those are good. But it, it has to make time sense and economic sense to be a chef these yeah. days. Again, we're at Playa Provisions, but this restaurant's really interesting. It seems to play a lot of functions. It seems to be a magnetic hub for the community. Yes. Uh, we're very around here? We're very neighborhood-focused. Uh, Rich people fighting erosion? That's what some, I saw driving in. Some, uh, yes. 
and the houses are have these phenomenal views of the ocean. However, there are people who have lived here for 50 years right. um, who you know, bought these houses before they were worth what they are now. And uh, so our demographic in, and our clientele is very across the board, very different. Um, you know, we have families that come in for brunch. Like right now, the patio and, and dining room in Dockside, uh, which is the seafood sort of more formal sit down area, uh, is is going to we're busy for brunch. It's a holiday weekend, um, yeah. but still, brunch is kind of our our Saturday Sunday bread and butter. Uh, and then we will be open all day. The cafe, grab and go stuff for people going down to the beach. Although the weather's crappy today, but uh, and then we have this like doggy patio where we allow dogs. So a lot of people grab stuff and sit in there. Very casual coffee, pastries, and then dog treats. We don't make dog treats. We have made dog treats. We don't currently. I think that's a you know. I mean, I think it's a pretty obvious choice. I, think I mean, you should I, I be do probably feel investing like in potentially that. we're lacking uh, a little bit in the dog treat department. I'll try to. I used to eat dog biscuits when up. I was when I was really young. That's interesting. We had dogs. Yeah. Okay. Good teeth. I have good teeth. Oh. Okay. Because of it. All right. They're good for your teeth. Um. Anyway, uh, and then the whiskey bar opens at six, and then we'll start to get busy maybe around seven or eight. Um, sometimes right off the bat, depending on how busy the the main dining room opens an hour earlier. So depending on how quickly that fills up, sometimes people feel like they just want a quieter, more casual atmosphere and they'll come into the whiskey Do bar. Do you f- f- uh, serve food at Grain? So yeah, and it's a completely different menu. All working out of one kitchen? Yeah. Yeah, so the That's cafe crazy. is one menu, the the brunch menu, and then the dockside dinner menu are, are its own menus. And then we have the green whiskey bar menu, um, which is very kind of focused on food that goes with whiskey um, and sort of darker libations. So it, what goes well? I mean, I always think like, like tears go well with whiskey. <laughs> uh, you know. I mean, I'm thinking more like scotch um, eggs. Country <laughs> music. Yeah. Uh, Irish I mean, we've, music. We've played country um, not often. Um, sadness. Uh, no, we try to keep the the mood level on the upswing in this room, oh. and I think it generally it it works out. And I think that most of the people that come here are happy. Okay, maybe I'm just projecting. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that's very dependent on our cocktail list. Right, being, right. Um, no, that, that's good. I think there's a happy a list. There's a happy side to whiskey too. So, so, and the cocktail lists are completely different depending on which bar you're at. So, wow. the main bar is very sort of fresh. Um, makes you feel like you're on the on the coast at a beach community um you know fruit forward citrus forward cocktails whereas in here it sort of feels more like prohibition style cocktails okay okay and define i mean i i when whenever we're asked certain questions as chefs i'm always repellent of them but and i find this question very difficult to answer What's your favorite dish to cook? No, no, no. That's the worst. The worst questions you can ever ask a chef are, what's your favorite food to cook? And second is, who? what would you eat for your last meal? Mm. Which my answer is always, how am I about to die? Because <laughs> I may just want a smoothie. Scenario. Oh, okay. You know, uh, I don't know how I'm going. Okay. No, how would you define your food overall? Uh, what's your, what's your, what are you trying to say when you're cooking overall what is what's what's the fucking point brooke i have so many points um and i 
you know, I, so every one of my restaurants has a completely different menu. Um, I do I know, have, but there's still a, there's there's a there's a common thread and a backbone is. to it. And I think that the only way that that is recognizable is by potentially the ingredients and the style in which I cook them. Um, you know, I am a California girl. I did grow up um, in Los Angeles. I worked at Michael's. I, you know, I, I feel like my early career and education in produce and um, simplicity of how to treat it sort of is the underlining carry through between all of all of the restaurants. So you're making and smoked like, salmon pizza and avocado toast? Is that what you're saying, bro? I'm not Wolfgang Puck. <laughs> um, however, uh, I do appreciate a good avocado. Um, I like and uh, that smoked salmon pizza at Spago is pretty sensational. <laughs> I gotta say, yeah. thirty or four years later or I, whatever it is. I I a hundred percent agree. However, um, no, I think that the versatility in in the produce and the respect for seasonality is kind of what what maybe you might feel like is me yeah uh throughout you know because I, I have some asian food i have some hawaiian food i have some yeah but to me you're an american cook and yes, but so. but in the modern sense of being an american cook you're recognizing that america's influenced and um you know it's a poopery of different cultures and you're representing them and which is very california it's very, very LA. yeah 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 so, which which is a good thing. But makes it virtually impossible to define what style of cuisine. Well, I it's easier than the "What's your favorite food to cook?" <laughs> thing. I'm always like a salad. Is that even cooking? I don't know. That's what I made on my audition. Uh, to get me onto Top Chef, we you cooked made a salad for you. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the first episode oh, that I was ever on. God, where was that? That was at that horrible restaurant. I don't even think it's but around. But it was, it was supposed to be your restaurant. <laughs> oh, I know. But, oh, it was a shit show back there. It was yeah. some, it well, was uh, on Wang's, Santa Monica. Um, uh, what was it called? It was a, like a bar. Wang, something Wang's. Uh, I forget I what remember. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I made a salad, and everybody's like, "Really?" Oh, I remember now. Salad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You made a salad, yeah. really? It's it's funny. Everybody's always asking, always asking like, "What's your favorite meal that you ever ate on top of?" And I'm like, "I can't remember any of it. I can't remember <laughs> any of it. I just I like I did it, and I finished each episode, and I was like, the you men in black people were away. like, zap my head, uh, and you know, I but I think a lot of those people are on that show the same way. It's just like mm. I don't know, yeah, but it's good. It's yeah. cool. So what's next? Um, Not today. I mean, like, what's what's the arc? What do you want to do? I mean, do you want to keep doing this? Do you want to burn it all down and become a dental hygienist? <laughs> Not at do all. Do you want to take, come, you want to get in touch with some people in Montreal who know how to burn things down? Um, I, for I mean, insurance I've thought money? about that. I've thought about that. Yeah, and there's so sure. many options in the restaurant world. A lot. Yeah. Really, most of them hover around burning it down. But <laughs> you know, it's hard to make that look real, though. Um, You're in LA. Anything is possible. Oh, we had a fire here a couple CGI. of months ago uh, that started in the kitchen at uh, at Playa Provisions? Here in this kitchen, we had the firefighters break down our front door to put out a kitchen fire that ignited in the middle of the night. Um, Pilot light. Uh, night cleaners left a a pan with a rubber handle over the grill on a shelf over the grill and then um then left the grill on full blast and then the handle melted into the grill and ignited into flames 
and then uh, and then the the Ansel system put it all out before the firefighters even got here. So that's a fun cleanup though just, after um, the Ansel system. It was a process, yeah. And then you have to have fire the fire department clear you to reopen and health department clear you to reopen. Yeah, you so got to recharge, like repaint uh, everything. It was it was a process. Um, but no, uh, I don't wish for this place to burn down yet because this is kind of my bread and butter. Right no, I, I, I don't. No, no. <laughs> it's more the five year plan. Basically, it's like what what aspirational things you want to do. Your son's Hudson is how old now? He's eleven and a half. Right. Uh, it's amazing how quickly they grow. I'm Beatrice and Clementine are 15 and 17, and within two years they'll be oh, out of the house, which is terrifying. crazy. That's terrifying. They're so gorgeous. They're, oh, daughters, they're good kids. They're, they're here. I got to meet them today, yep. and um, they're they're stunning. They're really. they're they're good kids. They're they make, really are. They make me grateful that I had a boy. <laughs> yeah, he's they're they're yeah they're yeah. But no, they're they're easy. They're fun. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, what's next? Uh, are you writing know, a book? I am. I just finished a proposal. Okay. So I will be shopping it. I'm trying to find the the perfect agent right now to yep. shop that that proposal. Uh, it's my second proposal. The first one didn't sell, and um, I get why. And it it just wasn't kind of to the point enough, and I wasn't super excited about it. So I think people wanted me to change it into a book about one of my restaurants or a book about me and uh the the thing about a book and why it's taken me so long to to write one is because i want to be proud of something that i put out into the world like a book for more than a few years and i think that if i were to write a book about one of my restaurants it would be irrelevant in 10 years because who knows where these restaurants will be in 10 years so um so anyway Long story short, I have <laughs> written a proposal, but I have not finished a book. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like, where do I want to be in 10 years? I just, or five years, um, I want to, uh, can I, oh God, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of doing what I always wanted to be doing. There's nothing poignant about what and I'm that, doing that I haven't know, done. But, but, but that, that's, that's one of the most beautiful things in in being a human is being content with where you where you are now I am. And, and that's it's great strange people always ask I know. me what, I what, what the do you next want to step do next? is i don't have but, a next step but i think that's what modern chefdom uh that i think we're reassessing right now but modern chefdom is you always have to be m- progressing towards something new well there is some validity to that, that though because there, yeah the, because leases run out um you know people people are have a short attention spans and um if we're not continuously shifting and and changing who we are to fit what the the newest exciting thing is um we could become irrelevant Irrelevant. Um, and we will become irrelevant at some point probably um, oh, I'm, I've at, been irrelevant you know. <laughs> irre- irre- for years. I was talking to Suzanne going the other day, and she did have this beautiful line that she just said. I kind of it was said in the middle of a paragraph of her talking about various things, and but it, it she just said, "I'm very happy with how things are." Yeah, and it's you know in a Zen-like way, that's a really pure thought. Yeah, um, my problem is my worldview is all-encompassing and. Uh, keeps me up at night with anxieties, and I think things are fucked. But oh well, I mean, I I, we'll I'm be, not saying uh, I sleep uh, individually. <laughs> I, I think I'm fine. <laughs> I haven't slept in in years. Um, and you I'm, don't look uh, at Brooke. You oh, look well thanks, rested. Thanks, I appreciate it. 
I actually didn't sleep at all last night. It was crazy. Um, anyway, but that's that's a too much coffee. Story. No, I'm on these like steroids to 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 bulk up. <laughs> yeah. Um, Are no, you getting to bring swole? down this to bring down the swelling of an inner ear infection that was making me super dizzy. Oh. Uh, which was which is a terrible feeling, um, but they don't allow me to sleep. But they also make me feel like I don't need sleep, so I'm just I'm just a, I'm a mess right now. But, this um, is the latest episode of <laughs> It's Not Easy Being Brooke. <laughs> However, um, but to sort of wrap up that thought, yes, I feel like I need to continue to 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 find a next step. I'm kind of always, my husband and I are always looking at new opportunities, new leases, new um, prospects of, of maybe where to open another of the same or something completely different. It kind of depends on the location and the scenario, but uh, there kind of always has to be a next step, right? Because we've chosen this industry that is forever changing and very rapidly. And I mean, there always has to be a next step at the same time. I mean, I want my aspirational side to be like, I'm going to read more books and take care of myself. And, you know, there's, it, that too. there's that and there's the aspirations about being a chef and writing more books and opening more restaurants and doing more consulting. But it's like, and that's cool too. But mm -hmm. I, I don't know. There's got to be a synergy between the two where it's just like, Yeah, and I put we're, just we're as fine. much emphasis, I think, on enjoying and living my life as I do yeah. on my on my businesses. Yeah. And I think that that's important. I think I've gotten to a point in my life where I feel like none of this is worth it if I can't enjoy it. If you're not happy and yeah, the yeah. family's not happy with it yeah. and things are good. Yeah. Well, it's Saturday, Brooke. <laughs> There's a whole Playa Vista out there. I'm gonna go encounter it. You're gonna go Vista in? I'm gonna go Vista in. <laughs> okay. But thanks for uh, having me at the restaurant and chatting about life. Thanks for being here. Good. Yeah. Good. High you. five. High five. I taped this episode of Hugh Atchison Sturds the Pot on location at Playa Provisions in Playa del Rey, California. You should go. Scott Porch produces the show and Mackenzie Mazil edited this episode. You can follow Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please rate and review and come back Tuesday for a new episode. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hugh Atchison. That's H-U-G-H-A-C-H-E-S-O-N. Thanks for listening. Eat well, be swell.